It's good to be here today. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And then I'm going to skip down and read verse 6 as well, just to give some context for what we're going to talk about today. I am very thankful for the Holy Ghost that's alive in our lives every day. Very thankful that we have a God that understands what we go through. You know, scripture even says that, that Jesus, while he was here on this earth, we understand Jesus was God incarnate. He was here in flesh. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted at all points, just like as is common to man. So he felt temptation, and he was also, he felt all of the the good, the bad, the ugly that we feel. So I'm thankful that we have a God who understands. So when we do go through difficult things or when we're experiencing temptation, we have a God, and in fact, he lives inside of us if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? But we have a God that we can go to in prayer, pour our heart out to him, and he understands where we're coming coming from and can give us the strength to make it through. He actually builds his saints to be tough spiritual people. Did you know this? That the Holy Spirit makes us a tough spiritual people to endure. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. I have a couple examples in scripture, specifically with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, if you know those guys. But then I heard a couple stories that I want to share with you today, too, about just being built tough. Saints are hardy people, and we can endure a lot, even though most of the, I wouldn't say most of the time, but sometimes you might be going through something and you're looking at it saying, there's no way that I can make it through. I will challenge you and say, there is no way that you can make it through, but there is a way that God can make it through for you. God opens doors when there is no door. So Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Uh, All of my scriptures are in New American Standard Bible, NASB, just so you know. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. And then verse 6, it says, Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. This scripture is just to give us some context of what was going on. Let's, As you put your Bible down, let's lift our hands and just ask that the Lord would speak to us today. Father, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. We're so thankful that you have filled us with your spirit and even those that aren't filled with your spirit yet, you've given a promise that extends all the way until you come back, Jesus. So we pray right now that our faith would be lifted up, that we would see ourselves the way you see us, God, that we would be able to understand that we are tough and strong, not because we are inherently as humans, but because of who you are, Jesus. We draw our strength from you and we can count on you to bring the victory every time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Did y'all hear all those songs we were singing today? I have this really bad habit, really bad habit. I'm still trying to get like my drum set set up at my house so I don't necessarily practice before church, which is a really bad thing. 
If you're a musician, don't do that. Um, but I have this really bad habit of not listening to the set list until a Sunday morning, <laughs> which is bad, again. But when I was listening to the set list this morning, the songs that we were singing were about victory. The songs we were singing were about how big God is and how victorious he is and how majestic he is and how powerful he is. So I wanna lay the groundwork really quick right now. We're talking about being built tough today, but I want you to understand that as human beings, our flesh, what we are as people is not inherently strong spiritually. In fact, we lean as human beings toward darkness, toward weakness, toward uh, uh, the ungodly things in this world. But when we're talking about strength today, I want you to understand that the strength that we're talking about does not come from human hands. It doesn't come from human strategy or human philosophy. The strength that we count on as saints comes from God. And in reality, there is nothing stronger than that. God is the supreme authority of the entire universe. So I want you to understand today that it doesn't matter what you're facing in life right now, God is stronger than that. It doesn't matter what temptation you're experiencing right now, God is stronger than that. And all we have to do is choose him every time and activate the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. All we have to do is live by faith and by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Because scripture tells us if we live according to the flesh, we will fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But if we walk according to the Spirit, we will fulfill the things of God. We will fulfill the fruit of the Spirit or we can experience that in our life. So today, I, I, I wanna show you this, these four people in the Bible, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The other three, you might know them better as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you've read Daniel uh, 3, the three or two, something like that. We'll get there in a second. But I want to set the stage for you. So Jehoiakim, the king of Judah in Daniel chapter 1, was not a good guy. He was evil. Uh, the Bible says that he turned his back on God and fell back into idolatry and encouraged the children of Israel back into idolatry, even though they had had a couple good kings before him that, that sought God and, and you know, wanted to fulfill the covenant that the Jews had with, with God. But Jehoiakim was not that way. And actually, when he came to power, he was set up uh, in power as a king by this guy named Nico of Egypt, who was the pharaoh at that time. That was roughly 609 BC. That's how he came to power. He's actually a, a, a puppet king. But then something happened historically. The Babylonian Empire came to power in about 605 BC or 607, depending on who, which historian you study. And Babylon started to defeat all of these kingdoms. And one of their kingdoms was Egypt. And now we see in Daniel chapter 1, in the third year of Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And what happened historically, uh, just to give you a little, uh, a little understanding of what was going on at that time, Jehoiakim was serving this pharaoh, and when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Egypt, he switched uh, sides and started to serve Nebuchadnezzar. Well, in Jehoiakim's third year as king, he decided to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. 
You can read about that in some of the Chronicles and the Kings books in the Bible. But he decided to rebel and not pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. And this began the captivity of Israel. It was at this moment that Babylon started to besiege Jerusalem, eventually conquer it, besiege the entire nation of Judah, and eventually enslave them. But right here is the first siege of Jerusalem. It's the first group of captives that are going to Babylon out of, out of Jerusalem. And among those captives were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And what Nebuchadnezzar was doing, uh, he specifically chose captives that were of the king's lineage and that were nobles and wealthy people in Jerusalem because he was establishing that he's the king. There is no other nobility other than him. That's the message he was trying to get across. So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, I don't know how they were related, but in some way related to the royal line in Jerusalem. So they were related to Jehoiakim in some form or fashion, but they were godly. Jehoiakim was not. And we see this as the book of Daniel unravels to us, is that these four Hebrews, they were living under Jehoiakim's reign, under the reign of idolatry, yet maintaining their faith in God and trying to maintain their uh, relationship with their creator. And then they get transported to Babylon where there's just more idolatry and more uh, struggle and more immorality. But, but this is the interesting thing. They were experiencing an immoral culture before they even got to Babylon. They were experiencing immorality and idolatry in Jerusalem, yet maintaining their covenant with God. So, you know, don't get it mistaken. A lot of times we think, well, it was Babylon that was bad. No, it was Jerusalem was bad or Judah was bad at this time too. So they get to Babylon and, and the plan is that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah and other Hebrews, not just them, but they're the four notable ones, were supposed to be indoctrinated into Babylonian culture. They were supposed to go there. Nebuchadnezzar said, find these, no, these nobles, these wise people, find them in Jerusalem, bring them back to Babylon. We're gonna teach them our ways. We're gonna teach them our language. We're gonna teach them our gods and our worship, and they're gonna be like us and assimilate to the Babylonian society. And this was a very common thing that happened in history. When conquering nations would come and, and, and take over, they would take captives or, or spread out the people and try to assimilate them into their culture, so ultimately trying to wipe out an entire people group, to wipe out an identity. And you've probably heard this before, but um, you know Nebuchadnezzar even changed their names. He didn't even want their, Jew, their Hebrew names to exist on paper anymore. He changed Daniel's name to Belshazzar, changed Hananiah uh, to, uh, oh, I'm getting mixed up now. Hananiah to Shadrach, Mishael to Meshach, and Azariah to Abednego. Changed all of them to Babylonian names, not Hebrew names, trying to wipe out their identity, essentially. And we, can, we know through history that the Babylonian culture was pretty rough. Um, there were a lot of amazing things that as humans they did. Like one of, their seven, one of the seven wonders of the world is the Hanging Gardens in Babylon. It was a beautiful and majestic kingdom. And actually, God gives Nebuchadnezzar a vision and says that he is, uh, or the Babylonian kingdom is the head of gold on this statue, that it is wealthy and prosperous. And it is that way because God made it that way. That's what he makes sure to tell Nebuchadnezzar is that you're not really strong. It's really me. I set you into power. 
And God was using the Babylonian Empire to teach the Jews a lesson. But uh, we know, has anybody read the Epic of Gilgamesh? Has anybody read that? Uh, I didn't expect that. Um, but have you heard of like the Iliad or the Odyssey, like big Greek, you know, uh, writings? Well, the Epic of Gilgamesh is considered the, the first known uh, epic or the first known novel or large story, large poem, and it takes place in Babylon. But you uncover some really disturbing aspects of Babylonian culture. And there is some historical uh, record that Gilgamesh was a real king. He's on historical record that not all of it was made up. It was based on history and myth, both. That's what we see a lot in history. But the Epic of Gilgamesh depicts this tyrant of a ruler in Babylon that exercised um, the uh, first knight's rights, if you know what that is. That's kind of a gruesome thing. But, But essentially what the king would do, and this is one of the first iterations of this happening in history, what the king would do is that he, he said that he had the right to every virgin to sleep with them before their husband did on their wedding night. Like that, that, so there was a lot of immorality. There was a lot of things going on in the culture at that time. And then a lot of the worship with gods, as you know, centered around um, a lot of sexual immorality and things like that. But this is the culture. And it's not just the culture in Babylon. That was culture in Jerusalem at this time too with their idolatry. But we see these four characters, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah going to a foreign land as captives, so no longer noble. Now they've been reduced to slavery and going to this land of Babylon and seeing evil acts already in Jerusalem, seeing it perpetuated in Babylon and all of this other immorality. I mean, think about the environment that these men were placed into. Not a great one. When you're looking at it from a godly perspective, that's probably the flesh's paradise though. But from a godly perspective, these men were trying to hold on to their covenant that they had with God. They weren't willing to just let it go because they felt temptation or because they were in a place that really reached for their flesh. They were still maintaining their covenant with God. So Daniel's name, in case you didn't know, means God is my judge. Hananiah's name means Yah or Yahweh, has been gracious. Mishael's name means who is what God is. And Azariah's name means Yah or Yahweh has helped me. Well, when you're going into captivity, don't look like a lot of those namesakes are coming true. (laughs) Doesn't seem like God's being gracious when you're being taken into captivity, especially as a godly person. It didn't seem like God was helping them because they were going into captivity. And these were godly men. Yet there's so many parallels between the story of Daniel and what we're experiencing today. There's so much that matches up and lines up, especially when we're talking about how to maintain a relationship with God in the world we live in. When we're talking about how to hold on to the covenant that we have with our creator when there's temptation left, right, and center to just live however you want to live, be whoever you want to be, do whatever you want to do, identify as whatever you want to identify as. There's so many parallels, and yet we can look at these four people and find strength of character and find how God can manifest his strength in a human life. So as they're held or going into captivity, you might know the story, Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. They, 
they, the very first temptation they encounter is to compromise their eating standards. That's the first temptation they encounter. Um, when they were a part of this group of people learning how to be Babylonians, when they were a part of this, uh, this group, the expectation was they're going to eat from the king's plate, that they're going to eat from his table, that Nebuchadnezzar was going to provide them with all of the nourishment that they needed. But the issue that Daniel identifies is that a lot of that food is just not kosher. A lot of that food does not line up with what God has told us we need to eat. So Daniel takes a stand. And this, is, this verse, what, what it says about Daniel is probably one of my favorite lines in the Bible. It's not my favorite verse, but what Daniel does is like my favorite line. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food, or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. If you read in the King James, it says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he was not going to defile himself. The New, New American Standard puts it in our phrase today, Daniel made up his mind. I want you to know something, that this decision that Daniel made right here, he didn't wait until the time of temptation to make this decision. This was a decision he lived by every day. I imagine that as a youth, he made up his mind that he was going to serve God. And no matter what temptation came his way, he would go back to that decision and say, I've already purposed it in my heart. I've already chose God over the world. I've already chose the covenant over any temptation that will come my way. And you have to understand this as people of God. We can't wait until the time of temptation to choose to live for God. When the temptation comes and we have not decided to live for God yet, you, we will fall. But when we choose today, I'm going to serve God no matter what. I'm making this decision from a point of strength in the Holy Spirit. When the temptation comes, it's easier. I'm not going to say easy, but it's easier to say, I've already chose Jesus. I'm not even going down this path. I'm not going to put myself in this situation. I've already chosen the covenant. And that's what we see here with Daniel and these four guys. Like, they were living for God in Jerusalem, which was an ungodly place, brought to another ungodly place, but had already made decisions in their past that they are going to serve God. And those decisions and living in the covenant of God gave them the fortitude and the toughness to make those hard decisions when temptation did come. So knowing that, that, that humans are sinful, I mentioned it just a minute ago, the kingdom of Babylon had to have been the, the flesh's playground, just like pretty much any human kingdom that was ever set up. The flesh's playground, just a place where, where every temptation you could imagine, every fleshly desire you could imagine was available at, at your fingertips. You could go anywhere and fulfill whatever your flesh wanted. And, and as, as humans, I have to imagine that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were tempted. And they felt that temptation because they were people. They weren't some superhuman, you know, perfect individuals. They were human beings. So I have to imagine being in an environment like that, there had to be temptation that came their way just like today. 
when we live as saints, I'm, I'm looking around at godly people, but how many times do we feel the temptation or hear from our society, either directly or indirectly, the Christian life is outdated. Just live a life that's true to you and you'll be happy. Do what you want to do. Find your own happiness. How many times do we hear that? And it appeals to our flesh. I'll be honest. It appeals to our flesh because we're humans. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it gives us the discernment that when we hear things like that, we can look at it and say, that's an empty promise. Because a life with Jesus is the only life that fulfills A life with Jesus is the only life that provides joy and peace. Why? Because Jesus is peace. Because Jesus is joy. Because he is truth. That's the only life that satisfies. But how many times, I mean, the society we live in, you could have your fleshly desires at the touch of a button. Pull out your smartphone. You can order whatever you want. You go to whatever website you you want to look at. You can do anything. That's why it is so important that today, just like in any day, I don't want to say like, you know, we're in some super unique situation, although I do believe that there are aspects that are very unique that we're dealing with today. But that's why it is so important that we hear messages that strengthen and encourage our spiritual being. This is why it is so important. As Pastor talked about today in Spirit Life, if you weren't here, you missed out. We were talking about prayer, and he talked about how important it is to have a daily devotion, to have a consistent time where we meet with God. Because if we don't have that, we won't be tough. We won't have endurance. If we're not praying and in the word every day, we'll hear those or feel those temptations or hear those statements and it will appeal to us and and we'll start to question, well, why am I even going to church? I could be doing something else on Sunday. Why am I spending time reading this outdated book? I could be doing whatever, but no, that's, that is the perfect, not the perfect, but I, I think that is the lie that the enemy really wants everybody to buy into. What do you need it for? That's the lie. What do you need it for? You could do whatever you want to do. What do you need that for? Why you got to spend time at church on Sundays and go to prayer on Thursdays? Why you got to spend time praying? Why you got to spend time reading your Bible? Why don't you just do something else? And that's the temptation that these men were facing too. But understand this, that scripture warns us about loving this world. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. What a promise. And you know, John boils everything that we can encounter in the world down to three things. It's the three big lusts, essentially. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Everything we experience in this world, every temptation, every sinful act, everything immoral boils down to one of those three things. It's what the enemy tempted Adam and Eve with in the garden. It's what the enemy tempted Jesus with when he was in the wilderness. And it's what the enemy still tempts 
people with. It's what this world is all built on, this corrupt society, not just in the United States. The world at large is built on those three things. And John so eloquently says that if you follow those three things, you, God's love is not in you. But if you choose God, if you choose the eternal, because this world's passing away, that's what John says. This world's not going to endure forever, but if you choose Jesus, you will live forever. But it takes some toughness sometimes to make that choice, because that choice can be hard. Am I talking to a group of humans today? That choice can be hard at times. Like I said, I believe that those four Hebrews, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they, had, they experienced the temptations that we experience today. They experienced the, the, saw all of the things that Babylon was, how prosperous it was, how beautiful it was, how amazing the architecture was, how strong the army was, how whatever, indulgent the society was. And I'm sure they felt that. But Daniel was wise to the trap. Daniel was wise to the trap because he had a relationship with his creator. Because he had a relationship with the covenant that God made with his people so long ago. He understood that the only real way to live is a life connected to the source. A life connected to the source of life, the breath of life, which is God. The one who created everything. That's the only life to live. So Daniel was wise to that trap, and he made a decision to be tough, even though he was tempted. And we see the outcome of it. They actually did essentially a research study. They did what's called an A-B blind test. That's what I would call it. It's where they, they took these group of four people, gave them a different diet than everybody else, tested it for 10 days, and then came back and evaluated the findings. And what did they find? The ones who stuck to the covenant of God, were the ones that were blessed, more healthy, and more wise. It wasn't just the diet. Like, don't get it, don't get it confused. It wasn't that they had some special superfood that they were eating. It was that they chose not to defile themselves with the king's, the king's food, and they chose to live according to God. So then God gave them favor. That's what Daniel, the book of Daniel says. God gave them favor, strength, and wisdom and they were more intelligent, they were healthier than everyone else in the class because they chose God in the midst of temptation. God honors those decisions. And God gives strength when we choose him over this world. Because remember how, what we talked about at the very beginning, God understands. He understands what temptation feels like. Because he lived this earth and he was tempted. He understands what betrayal feels like. He understands what pain feels like. He understands what loss feels like. So when we choose him in the midst of those circumstances, he can relate to that and he can impart strength there. Because he knows what it takes to be tough in those situations and he can make us tough so that we can make it through. That's the kind of God that we serve. He doesn't want to just send us out into the world so we can flop and fail. No, he sends us out into the world, and actually he prayed that we would go out into the world so the gospel can be spread and so his name can be glorified 
Sometimes we go through stuff in life that doesn't make any sense, and it hurts and it's painful, and the only real purpose behind it is so his name can be glorified. Because if somebody can look at a saint of God who is going through the most difficult season of loss, of of need, of whatever, and you still have joy in your heart, and you can still say God is good and he's faithful, even when you're not seeing it, my God, what a testimony that is. What a testimony that is. But this wasn't the only time that these men experienced temptation and and a hard decision. I mean, you know, read the story. I'm already running out of time. I'm sorry, I gave y'all so many scriptures. I'm not gonna get to hardly any of them. But this wasn't the only time that they had a decision like that. If you fast forward a little bit to to, uh, Daniel chapter three, the golden image is erected. Nebuchadnezzar wants everybody to worship him because he's kind of a loser. But, I mean, he had little big man syndrome, I guess. Like, he was just, you know. But he, and you know what's funny about Nebuchadnezzar? I got to say this because I was reading it this week, and I think it's perfect poetic justice. Because Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he, he recognized a couple times the power of God. And there were a couple of times that he made a decree, especially after the the golden image incident, where he said, if anybody speaks ill of Yahweh, you'll be put to death. So he recognized the power of God. Well, he had this dream, and it was about the, uh, it was this big tree. And And it was beautiful, and it was huge, and it was wide. And then he saw an angel come down and say, cut this tree down, but leave the stump and leave the roots. And the tree got cut down. And he's like, who can interpret this? And Daniel, being our interpreter of dreams, interprets it for him and says, what Daniel said is funny. He said, oh, king, I wish that this vision was about someone else, but it's about you. And then he goes to explain that Nebuchadnezzar is the tree. You're going to be cut down. You're going to lose your authority. And then the vision goes a little bit later and says that there's going to be the mind of an animal put in you and you're going to eat grass and for seven periods you're going to do this until you recognize that it is God who is the supreme authority. So Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, thank you, Daniel, for the interpretation. Goes by his way and then he's talking to every, all of his high ups and he's like, look at this kingdom I've built for myself. Look at this, look at all of this that I've done. And in that moment, his mind was replaced with the mind of an animal and he went out into the field and started eating grass until, he, until his mind came to him and he recognized God is the only one who's strong enough to put authorities in place. It's just Nebuchadnezzar was a wild dude. But he wanted everybody to worship him. Sorry, that was just an aside. I just thought it was interesting. He wanted everybody to worship him. So he sets this golden image up, you know, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is how Daniel 3 uh, talks about him or uses that, that name, but they don't bow. And Nebuchadnezzar gets so mad and he gives them another chance because they're high ups in Babylon at this point. They have authority, gives them another chance and th- their response to Nebuchadnezzar is beautiful. They say, okay, we're not careful to answer you. Or what they're really saying is, we don't have to be politically correct when we answer you. We're gonna tell you right now that we're not bowing and that God can save us from your furnace, but even if he chooses not to, we're still not bowing to you. It's just 
amazing. And they go in the furnace. You know the story. There's a fourth person in the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar, if you read some of the newer texts, I think King James says, looks like the son of God. If you read in some of the newer texts, the translation's a little bit better because um, Nebuchadnezzar didn't necessarily hold that Yahweh was the one God. So it says that this looked like a man in the likeness of a God. That's the way he, he perceived this fourth one, which we know is true because it was God. And he was in there with, the, with them in the furnace. And, but they, they made a decision once again. The temptation was to conform to society so you could escape punishment or persecution. That was the temptation these three experienced. Do what society does and don't live the way you know is right because if you live the way you know is right, you'll be persecuted for it. But again, going back to their roots, they had already decided to serve God no matter what. So when, they get, when they're confronted with this temptation to conform, they can say to the king, we don't even have to think about your request right now. We've already chosen God and we're not bowing down to an idol. In the face of temptation, they can experience the strength of God. I have a couple, two quick stories I want to share with you. Let me, uh, let me read a, a scripture to you real quick. We know Acts chapter 1 and 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. The Spirit of God gives us power, the power to do things, not just to, for miracles to happen, although that does happen, and not just, you know, to, to preach or to enact the gifts of the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit, I believe, gives us the power and strength to choose Jesus. Doing power, the power to make a decision to choose Jesus. But then Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 through 31, it says, he gives strength to the weary and to the one who lacks mighty increased power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Not strength that you had 20 years ago. New strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired and they will walk and not become weary Paul even wrote about this supernatural strength in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's talking about the Holy Ghost, having it on the inside, so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. So what he is saying here is that the Holy Ghost on the inside, when it operates, it operates in strength and power. But it does that so that everyone will glorify God. So people will know that it's God's strength and not ours. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Do y'all remember the gospel song that had that uh, chorus in there? I don't even remember what it's called. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Whatever. Um, yes, morning for dancing. There it is. There it is. Uh, but, it, but it's true. And that, that what Paul is saying is that when you have the Holy Spirit on the inside, you're going to be hurt at times. You're going to be crushed at, or you're going to be afflicted. You're going to be bruised. You're going to go through some hard things, but you will not be destroyed. 
There's a difference. You might be beat down a little bit, but the Spirit of God gives us standing power that when the world tries to beat the saints of God down to our knees, the Holy Spirit gives us supernatural strength to stand back up again. Ephesians chapter six, when you've done everything you could possibly do, just stand, stand in the strength of God. So I wanna share a couple stories as we wrap up. I was talking to my mom this week and she told me a story and I asked if I could share it. Because, you know, I've talked about especially in spirit life, I've talked about some of the stuff that uh, my family has gone through. I've talked about, you know, the difficulties with growing up. My mom was in church. My dad was not. And uh, my mom told me this story that she was really, really frustrated and hurt and broken because my little brother was really little at this time, so I had to bend maybe five or six. I don't know exactly. Mom, you can correct me later because I know you're watching. I don't know exactly how old I was, but my, my mom was so frustrated and, and didn't feel like she had the endurance to keep going. She, had, she hit this period of time where, you know, my brother was little, I was little. She was trying to take us to church every Sunday, But then she was getting really frustrated because we didn't do well in the nursery. I was a really bad baby. If You might not know this. This little joke, when I was born, the hospital nicknamed me the little screamer because that's all I did was scream for years of my life. That's what my mom says. But but being like that, uh, I didn't do well in nurseries. My brother didn't do well in nurseries. So my mom was really frustrated. She would take us to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every prayer night. She was really involved in church, like ladies' ministry, choir. We were at all of it. And, but when she was there on Sunday, she was never able to listen to our pastor preach or to any of that because she was busy with us horrible kids sitting out in the hallway, you know, trying to deal with us. And she was talking to my Papa Pagel, who has passed on, and that's actually Harley. Link is named after, Har- after my Papa Pagel. His middle name's Harley. But she was talking about Papa Pagel, and just a quick side note about him. He came into the church when my mom was about two years old. He gave up a life of alcohol, smoking. He was in the Marines. He was a rough guy, very difficult life. And when he was filled with the Holy Ghost, he set his cigarette carton on the altar and was like, I'm never going back. And my mom was sharing this with him, like, you know, I'm I'm just not going to go to church until my boys are 18. I'm just not, I'm done. I can't deal with this. You know, I'm so frustrated. I get up early to just be late to church. I get up early to try and get them ready to like not even hear anything in church. And she asked my Papa Pagel, what do I do? You know what my Papa Pagel said? This is probably the toughest thing I've ever heard anybody say. He said, well, Tracy, you're gonna get up tomorrow and do it again because those boys need Jesus. What he was saying is it doesn't matter the circumstance because if you choose to quit, what's going to happen to the family? If you choose to quit, not just just my mom as an individual, what would happen to her spirituality, but what would happen to my brother and I? That decision would impact our life. I don't, honestly, I don't think I'd be here today if it were not for my mom having a massive drug problem. 
meaning she drug us to church every time the doors were open. I don't think I'd be here today. But that, that is spiritual strength. The ability to, even when you feel beat down, get up and keep moving forward. Let's all stand. This strength, I just want to encourage somebody that if you don't feel strong right now or you don't feel tough, that's what we're going to pray for today. Because God can strengthen. It doesn't mean you won't feel beat down at times. It doesn't mean that you won't feel afflicted or bruised or hurt at times. But it does mean that even in those moments, you can choose Jesus. It doesn't mean you won't feel temptation, but it does mean that in those moments of temptation, you can choose Jesus. Because a life with Jesus is the only life that fulfills. A life with Jesus is the the only life that really matters. Eternity is what matters, not what happens on this earth. And when we have the spirit of God inside of us, we can have the supernatural strength and endurance to make it through whatever life throws at us. What peace to know that. There's no sickness, there's no need, there's no pain, there's no hurt that you can't make it through with Jesus. So right now, I want everybody to close your eyes, close your eyes, lift your hands. And honestly, if you feel like you need strength today, just ask God for it. You have not because you've asked not. That's what scripture says. So ask the Lord for strength to make it through whatever you're going through. Father, we need you today. We know that you're the origin of life. You're the origin of strength. And God, I know that sometimes when we're going through life, we don't feel strong or we don't feel tough. I mean, even if you look in the Old Testament, Moses had to have help holding his hands up so the children of Israel could win a battle. There are times where our human strength fails us. So God, I'm asking you to step in that gap. We know that you can do anything, God. You can make a way where there is no way. You can walk through the fire with us just like you did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when we choose you, you give favor and strength and power to keep moving forward. So Lord, today we choose you. From a place of strength and spirituality, we choose you so that when we encounter those moments of temptation and pain and hardship, we've already chosen to live for you. In Jesus' name. I'm gonna open this altar. If you can make a statement of faith, come on down. If you're able, But make this personal. Make this personal. God knows what you need. But man, it sure helps when we can pour our heart out to God. And I promise you this, that if you ask for strength, God will give it to you. It might not look the way we want it to, but God will give strength. In Jesus' name. There is no fear, because I believe. There is no doubt, because I have seen your faithfulness, my fortress, over and over. I have a hope.
found in your name. I have a strength found in your grace. Your faithfulness, my fortress, over and over. Make way through the waters, walk me through the fire, do what you are famous for, what you are famous for. Shut the mouths of lions, bring dry bones to life, and do what you are famous for. 